Opie Radio. Ah! They wanted you to clap. Why did they want you to clap, Jack nobody, and the Joke Man? Because nobody's going to clap for me. I have to clap for my damn self. <laughs> I guess that's how we start. It's another episode of the Opie Radio Podcast, and uh, we're at Jackie the Joke Man's house, overlooking the Long Island Sound. Which can only home. mean one thing. What's that? That we have to start the podcast with yeah. a joke. Okay, good. We're going to start the podcast with two jokes. Okay. Because a friend of mine, we're filming for my documentary, and my pal Richie Minervini, that I started comedy on Long Island with in 19. Yeah. 79 was also interviewed for the uh, documentary and he came home from his last cruise and actually told me two jokes that I hadn't heard before. Ooh. Hold on a second. Billy! Shut the fuck up out there! <laughs> this is gonna be a train wreck. We're, we're making a movie, you asshole! I should tell the people, I I, I I walked into a documentary. I just wanted to do Jackie the Joke Man on my podcast. So Richie came in with two yeah. jokes yeah. I've never heard before. A couple goes to adopt a baby. And okay. they sit down with the woman and they say, we'd like to adopt a child. Yeah. And the woman says, oh, uh, are you married? And the guy says, yes, we are. And he says... Uh, the woman says, do you work? He says, yes, we, we both work. She says, that's good. She says, she says, what do you do? He says, we're clowns in the circus. And the woman says, clowns in the circus and you want to adopt a baby? He yeah. says, well, yeah, we make a good living. We pay our taxes. We're good citizens. We want to have a child to raise, have a family, a nice, warm family, be like regular people. The woman says, I, I guess I understand. She says, well, would you like to adopt a boy or a girl? The guy says, a boy or a girl? What difference could that possibly make? We want a child. We want to have a family. What difference could it make if it's a boy or a girl? As long as the kid will fit into the barrel of our cannon. <laughs> now, now, that's a nice joke. That's a wonderful joke. The other joke he told me is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. We're in Pennsylvania. And Grandpa's there with his... With his grandson. Yeah. And he's, he's they're taking a tour of Pennsylvania. He says, you see, Sonny boy? That's, that's the Gettysburg field. That's, that's where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863. And a lot of people say that that battle was the turning point of the Civil War. And the kid says, duh, Grandpa. Tell me something I don't know. He says, I, I, I can fit my whole fist in your grandmother's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, that's a hell of a way to start this podcast. Ah, uh, why can, not? Can you, uh, we got to explain for, uh, for my podcast. Uh, you're obviously uh, going to be uh, doing a documentary. We're I in the was on the radio this, right? for eight years on Sirius XM, yeah. Jackie's Joke Hunt, and my uh, co-conspirator was Ian Carr from IKA Collective and his company... Him and his man, Ronnie, and uh, Harry with the beard are shooting part of the documentary today. We've been shooting for a couple of years, and it's great fun. We have all kinds of great people. They, we. They yeah. have all kinds of great people in it. Yeah. And, uh, and we just got the green light from Mark Cuban. Really? Who is a, I love Mark Cuban. And you don't know anything about my stick tail with him? I don't think so, no. I'll try and make it quick. Okay. When we started getting, we were going from city to city to city, and we start making money. So I'm going to Chicago and making eight, ten, twelve grand for, right. for one stand-up show. Yeah. It was unheard of That's for me. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to Riviera and headlining. So they call me from Dallas because we just went on the air in Dallas. Said we want you to come out here and do a show. And 
but we can't pay it. And I'm like, well, you know, when I finally have a weekend off, I, 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 the only way I can rationalize going anywhere is to make the money. It doesn't make any sense. Sure. You know, and they said, well, Lee, you know, we're, we're starting this thing. And in 1995, Mark Cuban had already made millions of dollars, but he was starting something on the Internet where they were streaming audio which wasn't being done yet. Of it's course. hard to believe. And they wanted to stream basketball games and stuff like that. And they wanted to use my jokes. And I said, well, I'll just send you my stuff. And they took everything I had and made a six-hour no. tape and made it an endless loop or however they did it digitally. Yeah. So I, I never actually saw it, but it was like their webpage. You could see the different... You could listen. There was no video. Right. Because it went from text to pictures to audio, to video, it took time. And, sure. then, and now it's hard to believe it was ever like that. It's insane. But on the page, supposedly, there was a button. And at any point during the game or during the commercial, if you wanted to hear filthy jokes, you push the button, and it would come in wherever that was. And that was audionet.com. And I sent them everything, and, and they plugged me, and it was a happy fizzies party. And like a couple of years later, I'm sitting on the Stern Show, and I look at the post, and the headline of the post Audionet.com had morphed into Broadcast.com. Yeah. Broadcast.com sold for $4 billion. And I'm like, holy jeez. <laughs> yeah. And there's actually tape of Cuban on the Stern Show after I left. And it's very funny because you're sitting there and Howard said something like, so Mark, uh, Jackie used to say that he sent you some jokes or something. And he said, oh, yeah, you know. I might, he was, he have kids. he said, I, I might not be here today if it wasn't for your man Jackie. He gave me a lot of material when we are just starting, so I got to thank you, boy, Jackie. And he turns and Howard goes, no, no, Jackie's not here anymore. That's Fred. <laughs> he goes, well, thanks, Fred. You know, it's so confusing. But he, he just, as of a week ago, agreed to be in the documentary. That's really cool. So man. a very, he's a very nice guy. Anytime yeah. I email him, he writes right back, right. you know. When, uh, when is the documentary going to be out? Uh, fall of uh, the day I die. <laughs> no, fall 2019. That, oh, is, so that is the projected that date. That would be awesome. All right. I we, got. We can't wait. I got to say. You, you and you want to come? Half price. Half price. I like that. <laughs> I, uh, I got a tour of Jackie's house. It was amazing. And then now we're sitting in this great room looking over the Long Island Sound. Uh, they're filming for the documentary. I'm doing the podcast. And I said, Jackie, I'm, uh, I'm thirsty. And you said there's water in the, the fridge. So I, I got to ask you, are you recycling water? Because all your water bottles, they're, they're, there's, you know what the I caps did? aren't tight. I, so I, I, I chose to get the seltzer instead. That's fine. Because I'm not sure if you're getting the water from the Long Island Sound. I, I don't know with you. Long Island hose. water is so good, and I just refill the bottles. <laughs> okay. I'm not cheap. It's just a pain in the ass buying them. I just, you know, it pulling. looked a little cloudy, the water. Didn't it, Mikey? It's not cloudy. <laughs> it looked cloudy. We well, got it's fine scared. for me. Have a seltzer. Oh, thank you very much. You know, that's uh, one of those things that's going to play is me being cheap, and it's me being lazy. You know, I fill up the bottles. I grab two when I get in the car. Yeah. I don't drink anymore. I smoke some pot, drink some water. I'm right. a happy camper. Are you, know? you all right with not drinking? It's been what seventeen years? You know, Eight years. <laughs> Doesn't bother. Was it easy to quit? Yes. What do you mean? Yes. For you most know, people, it's not easy. People, to quit. people tell me, well, then you didn't have a problem, and I say, yeah. Well, why don't you tell my ex-wife I didn't have a problem? <laughs> exactly. But uh, you know, it's so funny because once in a while we'd see somebody after I quit drinking, and they'd be a mess, and she go, "That was you," and I said, "That wasn't me." You know, and but who knows? No awareness. But I, I quit, and. No shakes, no nothing like that. I just, I just stopped. People say, well, then you didn't have a problem. I said, all right. It's not a badge of courage. I'm not, you yeah. know, I'd love to tell you I shook to death. I right. just didn't, you know. Because they say if you you stop cold turkey, you could die, right? Because uh, your body kind of needs the alcohol. I was point. never, you know, this is a great story. Me and Nancy went to a marriage counselor. 
but she was an alcohol counselor. Yeah. And I went to see her a couple of times on my own. And she said, you know, we've never really discussed uh, your alcohol problem because we're basically trying to save our marriage. And <clears throat> I said, well, you know, I don't know how bad my problem was. It's hard to judge how bad your problem was. Uh, you know what? In fact, I'm, I'm screwing it up. It wasn't her. My friend Toby's mother had been an alcohol counselor for 30 years. And she was the one who said to me, you know, we've never discussed your, your drinking. Because I became friends with Toby's mother and her husband yeah. and used to visit them without her. You ever do that where you're friends of with course. somebody's parents? You know, of course. Because they're, they're interesting, right? Yeah. And she said, uh, we never discussed your, your alcohol thing. And I said, well, I'll tell you the truth. I quit drinking and it was, it was like a, not even a blip. And as far as a problem, I know I never got up in the morning and needed a shot mm -hmm. of vodka or something. I never sat and watched baseball games and had drinks. Uh, Nancy and I never sat around and just drank and laughed. And I look over and she's smiling. And I said, what's so funny? She says, anybody that describes their drinking and uses the word never is an alcoholic. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd point out all the times you didn't drink. Because you don't remember like, those days. And, she's, and she was so astute. And I said, wow, that's so That's funny. really funny. That, that's really good. And, and that's very good logic. So, But you know did what? You, never, the you, one thing was I was yeah. home. And, and I was like, you know what? Anybody can quit drinking and lock themselves in their house. You know, you got to get out there. And it wasn't long. It was like a, you know, a couple of days or a week. I realized it got, but I thought, you know, you can't go to a bar because mm -hmm. you're walking by. What are you doing here? You're not drinking. You're not one of us, you yeah. know? And I said, what the hell? And you go to a bar and you put a stirrer in a glass yeah. of water or in a seltzer a or a Diet Coke. And nobody cares if nah, you're drinking. And what used to drive me crazy, if I'm talking to you and you got a drink, most people nurse a drink for an hour. Right. And I used to be like, are you going to fucking drink that or not? You know, you just, you know, I would love to have just it. Just getting know? bothered by everybody around you. Yeah. Did you actually have a bottom that made you go, you know what, I got to stop this? No, what it was was I got a, when I quit the show or got thrown off, however you want to call it. Uh, I had too much free time, way too much free time. And, and uh, we went to a wedding in Memphis and we were there like three or four days. And every day I just... Couldn't wait till five o'clock. And then I realized every day I was going to be a free man. And I said, you know what? I can't spend my life waiting for it to be five o'clock. So the only solution is for it to never be five o'clock. Right. So I quit drinking. And then me and Nancy went out to eat with John and his wife, Susanna. And we sat down to eat. And I said, no, I'm not drinking. She said, you're, 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 you're drinking. <laughs> so of course, I got drunk. Yeah. So that week didn't count. And then then we went to, we went, actually went to a christening. And I was always... Drinking in the car before, you know, I would pelt down a beer or two before we got in the car, have a beer in the car. We'd always get there in time for happy hour, uh, for the, you know, the, the opening salvo drinking before the wedding, before the event. And, we, and then after, I would drink right up until they threw us out. You know, they'd come around with the coffee and I'd say, you know, have another drink, another beer. And we're at this christening and we're sitting there and I'm drink. there's a goblet of beer and a turned over coffee cup. And the waitress, is real high-end event, is coming around with a pitcher of beer and the coffee. Yeah. And she comes around, and when she got to me, I turned off, turned over my coffee cup and put it in front of me. You, a body might as well have fallen out of the sky. And <laughs> right. she's like, what the? And I said, you know, and the waitress gave me coffee. And she said, what's that all about? And I said, I'm done. Wow. And that was the last I drank. Just like that? Just like that. You didn't, I, you I didn't squeeze a little Sambuca in the no. coffee? You know, and a couple years later, I went to a... A 
New Year's Eve party in Minnesota. How I wound up there, I will never know. And old habits die young, I mean, die hard rather. And I'm standing, and at some point there was a girl with really great cleavage standing, I'm, you know, and it was New Year's Eve and somebody poured champagne down her cleavage. And without even thinking, I was like, <laughs> was like whoa, what? it had nothing to do with, right. with getting a drink. Right. You know? I said, whoa. I said, I apologize to myself, not to you. you Oops. Know? Uh, yeah. You know, you got to tell the greatest drinking story. My favorite drinking story from you is the trip to Michigan. You know, that is a great story. It's in your book, uh, Bow to Stern. It sounds like such a, you, know, you got if you want my book, it's uh, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. Yes. Because if you just go to Bow to Stern, you get a seventh grade sailing manual. For real? Honest to God. <laughs> you didn't think this out ahead of time? Bow to Stern. So, <laughs> it was your one shot. <laughs> so I traveled to Michigan State and back. You went to college down there. A zillion times, yeah. East Lansing. And Route 80 wasn't there yet. And then it was there in little patches. So for a while you did Pennsylvania Turnpike. And then Route 80, when, it, you know, when there was enough of Route 80 to make it fair, you know, it was a whole dance. But it was interesting. I knew every place to get off and where to find beer. You know, it was, it was frightening. Yeah. Because when I got somebody in the car for the first time, they thought it was amazing because they know we get off here, we'd be here. Blah, right. blah, blah. But very early on, uh, I was going back to Michigan. So I came out for the uh, summer to earn money to buy an electric piano. I wanted to come to Long Island and bang some girls and get drunk with my friends. So I told the guys in the band, we got to have an electric piano in our band. You know, and we saved up the money. I'll go out there. And I'll get it. You know, I'll work for the summer, make the money and buy a piano. And they bought it. You know, it's a summer, not a lot happening. Came to Long Island, worked at a, dis a disco called Rush. You ever hear of sure. Rush? And I was a waiter at Rush and I drank all the money away. But then I borrowed some money from this girl and went to, went to Queens and bought a Fender Rhodes piano. You know what that was? Of Fender? course. It's like yay big. Right. And I talked my drummer in my band from high school, Carl, into driving me back to Michigan with my piano. He was 6'6". He died recently. He was 6'6", and he had a Mustang, a, you know, a little Mustang. Ian's got a Mustang. Wow. A little Mustang. He was so huge that he had to have the seat all the way back. So behind him, there was no back seat. <laughs> no okay. leg room. We put the piano in the trunk of a Ford Mustang, so half of it was sticking out like a <laughs> tail, and it was tied down. And a few days earlier, my mother announced me, uh, I'm going with you. And my mother was a hoop. She was wacky and crazy. And was funny. she funny? Oh, shit. So she said, I'm... Would you say you got your funny from your, your mom or your both, dad? They were both. Both. Both very, very... The whole, everybody in my family yeah. is way funnier than me. I lost both my brothers. They were both way smarter, way funnier. My sister's so funny. My parents was, You know, I was like... I was the three little pig that built the brick shit house because he wasn't, had to work harder. Yeah. So my mother announces she's going with us. So I figure, you know what, I'll just get her a bottle of booze, put her in the back seat, and she'll be fine. Now, I've been driving back and forth to Michigan State, so I know that, first of all, you don't want to pee. Because the minute you pee, it breaks the seal. Everybody knows we that. We all know that. And I got, so I would, I would have a picture with me. This was not a, 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 an original thing when this story happened. This was a, a, a well-trod thing. Yeah. But a lemonade pitcher with a with the opening like this, you know, big lemon. That and, means you're packing. And I would what? That means you're packing. Good for you, Jack. Up top. What? <laughs> What's packing me? You got a big piece. What? Because the the wide opening. Everyone knows that. 
No, that's if so. You, that's so I can do it while I'm driving. No, I understand that, but like you know, that's no, when no, you know no. It's, it's harder to aim a little with, one. I've been with friends and they use a water bottle. I'm like, oh my god, what's wrong? I use a Gatorade bottle. <laughs> Wider opening, Jack. Snapple. With the big uh, no, there was no snapper. At any rate, all right, you got, lemonade, good, you got a big piece and you got a pee no, in your car. No, you can do it while you're driving with a lemonade. I understand piece. that. So, will you so, admit you got a big piece? This is going to be on the documentary. I have an incredible penis. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I always, I always tell people that when a girl asks me, I always say eight inches, which is a little too wide for most women. <laughs> okay, so, so I know I'm going to have my lemonade pitcher and my case of beer on ice, and I figure I'll get. Dot was my mother. I'll just get her a bottle of rye and put her in the back seat. She'll be happy as a clam, which is true. So she's in the back, back right, because there is no back left, because Carl is all the way back. Yeah. And she's here, and between my mother and Carl is booze on, you know, ice and beer and stuff. And I'm riding shotgun, and Carl's driving, and we're going down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And we didn't want to stop. And finally, I had to pee, and I said, all right, you know. It, it wasn't even a big deal, and, uh, but I'd never had somebody in the back seat before. And I literally got up on my knees, uh, riding shotgun, so I'm like on my knees, and I'm looking. I'm a foot and a half from my mother, my eyes. I'm, like, I'm smiling. We're, you know, we're loaded because I didn't want to pee until we, we already got, we got a good head of steam and we're, yeah. we're into pennsylvania already before i could just pull over for a quick two minutes no <laughs> no pull over a thousand times in pennsylvania turnpike oh it's scary no no it's like 40 miles between exits yeah and, no know. i mean just pull off to the side of the road no, and then, oh, no you don't know and, no, and no. have everyone beeping as you're peeing no no you oh don't. you're a rookie i've never done that you're a rookie you know how long it get take to get going with three people an electric piano and a fender right. uh, i mean in a in a ford mustang sure. trying to get back on the road Plus, the road was in the worst possible shape. You could pull off of that and wind up in a pothole nobody ever find you. <laughs> so I'm looking at her, and I got this big mouth thing, and I, and I peed plenty yeah. in this picture. And we're all drunk, and we're laughing. And I turned around, and, and I'm an engineer. I should have known. And I opened up the window, because we've all spit out the window and had it hit our friend. you right. know. And I put the picture outside, and just but with holding the handle, and just... Turned it over, and the entire contents went back in and hit her just as like as if I had thrown it in her face. Right. And Carl and she lets out this scream, and Carl sees the whole thing in his rearview mirror and goes ballistically hysterical. And I'm telling you, the car was fishtail. It's it's a miracle we didn't get That's killed. Awesome. I turn around, my mother was. I'm not drenched. She was dripping in your urine. And what's really the saddest thing about everything, I cannot tell you what happened next. I don't know if we pulled over and dried her off, whether we waited till we got to a All I know is we kept drinking and kept going. You probably uh, And I told that story. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a while before I told that story to the guys off camera, you know, sit, you know, because we'd sit around, me and Howard and Fred and Gary, and he'd tell a story and he'd tell a story and he'd tell a story. And every time I told a story, it would, not to use a bad expression, it would trump them, yeah, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And it would always be far and away a better story, a funnier story, and <clears throat> I would see them looking at each other, rolling their eyes. You know, like, there he goes, you know, no one of his stories. And it was, I was there on the show a couple of weeks or a couple of months before they got to know me well enough where they started saying, 
I bet some of these stories are actually true, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they'd first. say, Jackie, tell us. And then yeah. I started telling the stories on the air. And they got very. I told that peace story a million times. Yeah. But you, they told it like I threw it in her face. You I, know. I bet you you made her just stick her head out the window <laughs> like a dog <laughs> while you're going she 60 was, miles an hour on, so on the Pennsylvania funny. Turnpike. She uh, was so funny. So you gotta you gotta talk a little more about growing up on Long Island because you know what's so cool about you. I've seen you so many times over the years because I'm from two towns over from here. I'm from the Huntington area. Right, right. And right. I've seen you in Oyster Bay a million times. I'm going real local for the people, and I didn't realize that you spent pretty much your whole life within 10 miles of this house the, the house i grew up in was built by my uh father's father and actually when i was a kid on the corner of the property until i was a sophomore in college it was a huge blacksmith barn my grandfather not my great 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 grandfather not my ancestors my grandfather was a blacksmith until yeah. he got kicked in the head by a horse in like 1940, and then he was never right again. Then the kids went away to war, and he died, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> but he built this house. Can I stop you? How does he get kicked in the head? I never have. Nobody knows. He's, because, he's, put, he's putting a shoe on a horse, and a horse but, kicked him but in the head. It's his, it's, it, it's his profession. You would think he would watch out for the the. It turns the out that, that that was not a rare occurrence. Oh. A lot of, you know, All it right. happened to, I thought, well, it was my grandfather an idiot? No, you know, I'm sure he was funny. You know, he, I don't know if he made a joke about that. Right. But <clears throat> it was a whole big deal. And uh, it was a crazy family. And uh, it, my great, great grandfather came from Staten Island. He married a girl. And her father, his name was John Coe. He bought a farm on Long Island. In, in East Norwich, which is now the Mutton Town Preserve. Sure. And he had the thing. He got married and had two kids, and his wife died. So his wife's sister came to help him take care of two kids, and then they had nine. Wow. <laughs> his, wife's, his wife's sister, and he wow. banked her. So my great-great-grandfather, <laughs> uh, he was my three greats. My great-great-grandfather was, uh, whatever it was, was one of them. And he was, I'm John Martling, and he was John Martling. And... You know, and they were in the area, and that was in 18, 1850. So they're always here. And then my uh, my grandfather built the house in like 1905, and he married a, a local girl who was the Roosevelt connection. And my my father and, and uncle were two brothers out of the five kids, so they took over the house, paid off the other kids. So my father and mother lived downstairs, and my aunt and uncle lived upstairs. And my father's brother married my mother's sister. And it was the Cramdons and the Nortons. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. My aunt was like Trixie. She wasn't as smart as my mother, but she had to have all the new gimmicks. They had a TV two years before us, so we had to go upstairs. But they literally lived upstairs, and we lived downstairs. And it was... That's it, like it, having four parents. It was, it was like having four parents. For the first two years... They must have recorded in their minds every time I pooped, every time I took a step, every time they must have fawned over me and all the relatives and blah, blah, blah. Some of their, their brothers and sisters were older, so their kids were already long gone. So all of a sudden there's a new baby in the family, blah, blah, blah. So I'm fawned over and fawned over. And then two years later, my mother had another baby and my aunt and uncle had a baby, my cousin Lenny. And my father started drinking a little bit more and I went from four parents to none. To so zero. I always tell people the way I was forged is I spent the last 70 years going, where the fuck did everybody go? <laughs> right. You know? And I don't know if that holds any water at all. I think that's what makes you a comedian. I, 
Right. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, you know. Some, uh, of, the, some of that uh, growing up stuff uh, leads you to be a comedian you know, and see the world a little differently. I know. There, there's never a, a real. But then again, don't don't we all have weird things that happen in our childhood? You know, my third comedy LP was called Normal People are People You Don't Know That Well. Yeah. No matter who oh, it is, you start talking to them. The most normal person in the world. They go behind the door and, and their right. father beats them over the head with a chair, you know. Right. So who knows? But. But everybody was funny, and we had great time, and uh, and it really was the Waltons for for years and years and years until my father got way too good a job because everything on Nassau in Nassau County was Republican, right? And my father's uncle Len was Leonard W. Hall. He got Eisenhower elected in '52, and again in '56 he got Eisenhower. It was the first time a president was elected. On the power of television. In 52, it was still whistle, top, whistle stops because not that many people had TVs. Yeah. And Eisenhower had two major heart attacks in 1955. Major heart attacks and still got elected Isn't by a amazing? landslide in 1956. And my great uncle was like, I'm, what a character. Now man. I'm confused. You said in there that your, your mom is connected to Roosevelt, right? <clears throat> no, my father, my father's mother. Your father's mother, because I well, I'm getting to the point that you might be related to the Roosevelts. Well, what happened? You mentioned what? that on the last episode of the podcast, and, and I, I was trying to follow the story, and I got confused. You know, like, it's a t what happened is, yeah. um, my Teddy Roosevelt's uh, mother had him in 1858, and while she was having Teddy, his father was in Maine hunting, which was a common thing. He was a philanthropist, but he was like. A playboy, and he did whatever he wanted. He didn't need to be home for the birth of no, a future president. No. And and yeah, why do that? And they had so much money. Right. And Teddy always played down how rich they were. They, you know, oh, how am I going to pay the rent? Yeah. They had gazillions, and they were one of the five richest families in New York. Yeah, which is crazy. So, thirty years later, my great grandfather is. In Sagamore Hill, he's he's the coachman and he's running things in Sagamore Hill, and his kids have the run of the place. And my my grandmother was the oldest of his eight children, and his youngest one was this guy Leonard W. Hall that wound up being Eisenhower's campaign manager because they were all tied in to the Roosevelts and the whole thing. But the way he treated him was like wasn't like the hired hand. He right. treated him like. Family. Like family, and it's... it's. So let me stop you. So the whole family was suspicious of this guy. Nobody knew this, right? Like the, the way we found this out is so great because of Bill Clinton getting a blowjob in the White House. There you go. Okay? There's a town... There's a paper called the Locust Valley Leader, and they are Democratic, liberal newspaper, local rag that always took all the Republicans to task because it freaked them out because, you know. And so uh, <laughs> at the, on the back page was an editorial one day. <clears throat> it said, so Bill Clinton was caught with Monica Lewinsky and blah, blah, blah. Well, sex has always been hand in hand with politicians, you know, and then they gave a couple examples. And, the, and then they said, there was always the rumor that Leonard W. Hall, that my father's uncle, that Leonard W. Hall was the illegitimate son of Theodore Roosevelt. Okay, wow. so my cousin Dottie, who spent a lot of time in Washington D.C. with great uncle Len, and he took care of her and paid for things because he was a very wealthy lawyer, <clears throat> very famous local politician. She's incensed, so she's going to write. She wrote a letter to the, and she, before she sent it, she said, "You know, I better run this past Aunt Eleanor." 
who is my father's oldest sister, that knows where all the bodies are buried. Because the thought of Uncle Len being an illegitimate son of Teddy Roosevelt was a, a slam. Sure. Meanwhile, it would have been exciting. And she goes, Aunt Ellie, this whole thing about Uncle Len being the illegitimate son of Teddy Roosevelt, there's nothing to that, right? And my teetotaling 93-year-old aunt goes, well. <laughs> and Dottie's like, holy Christ. She oh, says, no. the family rumor was always that Leonard's father was the illegitimate son of Teddy's father. And this is the first we had any inkling of this. This is like 1995. Everybody's dead. There's nobody to ask anything. And in those days, people didn't talk. Right. Kennedy's banging girls in the White House. Nobody's talking. All the press looked the other way because it it wasn't acceptable back then. I really believe that everybody knew the whole deal, and it's impossible. But the thing is with DNA... It's a simple matchup, but I cannot. I came so close to getting Roosevelt DNA like three times so yeah. far. I will get it. Right. But I was so close. Are you close. stalking the, Not, the family? No, no, you can't do it that way. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm no, but you can't, you can't do it subversively. Trying to poke him with a stick? No, no. Yeah, people say, can't you go, <laughs> right. go grab a cigarette butt, follow him into the <laughs> right. barbershop? That's not how a it works. lipstick on a cigarette. What are you doing, Jackie? But geez, you know, but it's such a, it's, it's such a funny concept. And, Did you and, ever compare the pictures? You know. Yeah, you look, but you know, it's so, like anything, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, not really. You're you know? almost like, wait, I think. And, and meanwhile, match. there's like one picture of my great grandfather, you know, serving punch at, at Sagamore Hill, but he's got a big old mustache. And yeah. And Roosevelt, uh, McKinley got shot, and Roosevelt had. This is the this is the proof to me that this guy was a Martling, okay, or was my relative. Yeah. He might as well be me talking to Howard, okay? Roosevelt gets shot, and he's in Buffalo. I mean, McKinley gets shot. Roosevelt's in Buffalo. He's got a con. He comes racing down to Washington, D.C. to take over the presidency, and his right-hand man is my great-grandfather, Franklin Hall, and he, uh, he, but he was like his coachman. You know, he, I don't know exactly what he did, you know, but uh, he, he wrote to him and said, I, I, I have a job for you here in Washington, D.C., uh, but right away, you know, he just, he's down in Washington, D.C., he's taking over as president, and I, I have this letter, I'll show you this letter, he wrote back, he, he called him Hall, his name was Franklin Hall, Hall, uh, I need you here at the White House, blah, 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 I need you to bring my saddles, I need you to work with me, and my great-great-great, great-grandfather wrote back, it is not dear, dear uh, President, the Big shot, you know. I, it is not in my interest to come right now. I could come in about a month. <laughs> it's like the president of the United yeah, States. Yeah, he's calling come, for you. He's like, only a family member month. could say and that, he wrote right? Back, all right, we'll get here when you fucking well can, you know. And then he went there and wow. stayed. And pre- and when uh, when Roosevelt left the White House in like 1908 or 1910, whatever it was, yeah. My great-grandfather stayed there and worked with the next administration on his death certificate. He died as a clerk in the White House. And he had eight kids here in Oyster Bay Cove. And he stayed there. So what a... No idea what the... What what do you think? You you believe in your heart? I absolutely believe that that he was the... They wouldn't have treated him the way they treated him. What was the age difference between him and the president? They were the same age. Literally, like well, he, within he, a month or no, within a, a, nine months. Wow. No, Pred, Teddy's being born, right? And and his father went up and knocked up this woman, right? 
So, so that nine months later, he was age. born more or less. You know, and then one of my aunts, you know, the rumors, oh, Teddy took him with him on one of his safaris. But, you know, you can't even find a picture of this guy anywhere, which if you work with the president, that almost tells a tale, too, because there should be some kind of record of, the, you know. Well, they, it sounds like they were worried about a, a major scandal. But. So they try to, like, uh, bury it as much as possible. But, the, you know, but the Roosevelt, they all fooled around. There was so much going on. Right. There, there was a whole story that supposedly Archie, one of Teddy's sons, had, like, a, a, an entire African-American second family or something. You know? So go. who knows, you know. A little fever. Oh, it's so great. He had a little hey. fever, like Thomas uh, Jefferson. It's so Jefferson had a little fever, didn't he? Sure. <laughs> and they those proved picnics, that. Those picnics must be oh, wild. Oh, my God. But... I, I will be excited to find out. And people say, why don't you just say that you found out and that it's true and let them prove it's not or something, you know, but here's, here's the last question on that. So you said you came close. Who was it? <clears throat> like, who'd you find? I am friends. I'm friends Roosevelt. with everybody that I ever met. I stay friends with. And there was a girl I used to fool around with in college that was just this wacky Jewish broad, not to be redundant. And... <laughs> She was from Miami, and we stayed good friends, stayed good friends. And she knows about me. And, you know, if you don't talk to somebody for 10 years, it's, it's still a lot of time, you know, still a lot of communication. And she knew about me, and she must have got uh, a little bit of a, the hint of the Roosevelt thing years ago. And she was working out with a girl in Miami. And somehow my name came up, and somehow... Maybe the woman was a fan. I forget. I should know. And and it came up that uh, and Jackie thinks he might be related to Theodore Roosevelt. Mm. And the girl's like, well, you know, he's my. I'll, I can tell you in a second. But we're at the same place in the chain. Okay, her mother uh, is. Or I think she's still alive. Her mother is or was the daughter of. Archie, and Archie was one of uh, Theodore's kids. So Theodore had five kids, right? And one of his children was Archie, and Archie had either this woman or her mother, and and she married a very very famous judge that sat over the Nuremberg trials. I mean, these people they're they're involved in this whole thing, but the girl, this girl Melinda, was the black sheep of her family because one of the this, this is where it sounds like I'm making up as I go along. Okay. One of the sisters uh, is a lawyer and a judge. And the other one I thought was also a lawyer. And Melissa was like a world-class ballerina. But she was the black sheep of the family because she was in show business, ah. if you can fan it. And meanwhile, the mother is in Miami Beach with a million-dollar condo. And she's going to pass away. And she's going to leave it to her favorite daughter, who is the show business daughter because she's the most fun. And so right when this woman, she, when she found her, she's emailed me, hey, cuz, yeah, I'll give you a shit. You know, we live in Las Vegas, and uh, come and see us, and we'll do the whole thing. And above her doorbell, it says bully, and it says Sagamore Hill West. And I'm like, I'm all excited because, you know, we're going to get the DNA. And I yeah. got a friend who, I have the DNA kits. I got a friend that's a DNA expert. It's ridiculous. I thought and, you had a guy standing by to steal her toothbrush. And, and, <laughs> and her mother passes away. Oh. And, she, and there's a lot of turmoil in the family because she's going to get the, the apartment. House. She doesn't want to cause any trouble. And she kind of chickens out. 
And after I go and visit her in Las Vegas and take pictures and I'm all excited, she backs out and I don't, and she's, and she's still won't do it. And do you still talk to her? I, I emailed her not too long ago and she was glad to hear from me. And then I said, well, what do you think? And when I bridged the topic, she went away again. Okay. The, I don't know. I don't know. The fact, I, I don't know the exact reason. But what's crazy, and this is where it sounds like I'm making up as I go along, there's my friend Fern was down there talking to Melinda again, maybe on email or something, and she said, oh, yeah, and, you know, my sister, you know, she's a literary uh, agent, and, you know, I don't think she'd be into it, and she says, so she tells me this, and I go, what do you mean literary agent? I thought you said they were all judges and lawyers. She says, no, no, one of her sisters is a literary agent. In fact, you might know this name, you might not. She said, in fact, she married one of her authors, this guy named Thomas Pinchon. I said, Tom Pinchon? Tom Pinchon is one of the world's most famous authors who's a recluse that nobody knows where he's from. He's from fucking East Norwich. He's right there. His father and my father worked together. My mother played golf with his mother. His Sister tried to babysit me and my brother. I was in school plays, but he was so much older. I yeah. never even saw the guy in my life because he's like 20, 20 years old, 10 years older. But of all the crazy coincidences, and the guy writes these wacky books, and I really think he would get a kick out of the story. Of course But how would. do you communicate? Right. So? So and then it turned out there was a bartender in Seacliff who's a Roosevelt. And she said, oh, man, I'm so into it. I'll, sure, I'll give you some DNA. And she came back and said, no, nah. my mother says no. This would make a great book. Oh, you just, know. Just the, just the pursuit. You, you on the trail trying to just grab someone's toothbrush. Oh, so, I mean, this girl was going to do it. She was going to do it. And her mother, a listen to this. Her mother, said, her mother said, we can't do it because, first of all, the DNA will be too far wide so it wouldn't count. And besides, we don't want to get involved in it. But you, but you can't have both. If it's not going to work, what do you care? That's but the, I think they're thinking that it's yeah. ka-ching, and it's got nothing to do with money. It's like, right. it's something you want to know. Of course. You know. That's, that's fascinating. That's, it's, that's it's, awesome. Well, the reason, it, the fact that it's still an open, right. yeah. an open crusade is, makes it fun. And to with your family with. moving to Long Island, you said 1858? <clears throat> You're one of the original families, right? There wasn't a lot of people no, in Long there was Island like, there point. was lots of people here. You think? Well, you know, East Norch was very small. Right. And just north of East no, I mean, out, Bay. I mean, out this far, like close to the city on Long Island, there's a lot more people. But when you start getting out here, even... No, Oyster Bay was a whole hotbed still, during the revolution and right, everything like enough. that. Fair enough. Uh, no, I mean, no more of the zillion people. No, it was, you know... So I I, uh, I recently read your book, Bow to Stern. And the one... The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. I'm sorry. The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. And the one, I, I, I mean, like I said, I'm I apologize. Your, I, well, I get going no, on that smart. Roosevelt stuff and I never shut up. You I, know. I, I can listen to that all day. It's God. so crazy. I'm so scared I'm going to find out the answer and then I got nothing to talk about. <laughs> right. How about those Yankees? <laughs> yeah, <you know>? Exactly. <laughs> um, but in Bow to Stern, I, I learned more things about you, including you had two, you had two brothers die, man, on you. Uh, and one. Both of my brothers were head and shoulders and another head smarter than me. I mean, when my brother Bobby graduated from Oyster Bay High School, he's the smartest guy that ever graduated from that school. When he was like 16 years old, he was driving a cab in Paris. Wow. You know, I mean, he, 
He smoked pot before anybody had hardly heard of. It. I mean, pot's been around since. That's what makes him smart. But he would. No, but no. But I'm just saying he was so far ahead of the world. Right. And 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 he, everybody in the world loves me except my own brother Bobby, and he hated me, and he died a couple of years ago with me still not having any idea. When we were kids, we played together. We had fun together. He was smarter. He had more girls. He had. Uh, he was a better athlete. He was, and people say, well, he was jealous. There's no way on any level. But the thing is, you can have all the potential in the world. At some point, you got to do something. You could say, hey, Harry's got a blank canvas. He could yeah. do anything he wants with it. But Harry got to do something with it. And he just never, and then he went, you know, he when went to he jail start? for pot. And, you know, so he, he just kind of went off the Let trail. me slow you down a little bit. So when, um, when did he start hating you? Do you know about? I, was it uh, when you hooked up with Stern and all no, that, and the no, fame no. went through the roof? We, we, we you know, it was, it was a gradual thing. I don't, I don't know. Were I don't like- really know. But I mean, we we hung and in the sixties of parties at my house, my mother's house, were legendary. And then I was in the band, and I, you know, and and we were having way too much fun, and I. I Maybe there's a twinge of jealousy, whatever. But, but you have no inkling what it could have possibly been? No, I been? never, there was no never idea. Any, no. And I, your mom wouldn't tell you? No, they, you know, the, by my family completely, completely went astray crazy. Right. You know, it, uh, it, was, it was the melting pot of East Norwich, and the whole world was there, and thousands of people came through the doors. But it, it really is a... One of a kind place, one of a kind story. There were me and my friends, Bobby and his friends, then my sister Kathy and her friends, then my brother Jimmy and his friends. My brother Jimmy. But can I, I one like that's crazy to me. That, oh no, no. Were it, you okay with the fact that you just never got along with him and that no, he hated no, you? No, no, no. But but you know they, they're far removed. You know he moved to to uh, to Richmond and you know he married a local girl who was a, a great friend and. Um, and the whole time he had his, the kids were down there. I was so worried that he's got them poisoned against me. And then they came up to visit and they, they loved me. You know, they, he mistreated so them. He, he, uh, he, it wasn't me. He alienated every single person he knew one by one. So you think he, it was some kind of mental illness oh, or like, something maybe? or Too smart, too angry. It's, it's. Because you have a lot of love in your heart. I, I, I don't really. You no, know, I, I love. It, I, I don't I, know. I wish I had an answer for you people. And people, I always see them thinking to themselves. He's got to know. And I don't, you know. Just simply don't one, know. At one point, he took all my old treasured photographs and ripped them up and threw them wow. away. Wow. And I mean, pictures that you remember so well from your childhood, I sure. can still see them, you know. No explanation. And my brother Jimmy, by back timing, I've figured he was one of the first uh, victims of opioids. Because he was in a bad accident a million years ago, and uh, and he was in and out of rehab and trying blah blah blah. And I remember at some point he said, "Jackie, I've kicked everything except these goddamn pills. I can't kick these pills." And nobody knew what to do. And he shot himself in 1993, which is long before anybody had. That's terrible. You know, and uh, was it was he? Did he have tendencies to be a drinker or he was before all that? He he because this drives me nuts because we no. all know somebody. That they were straight laced, they got a knee. Well, he was never straight laced. I mean, he, okay. he had a ponytail. He was on the gymnastic team like I was. He was the president of the student body, really popular, just beyond brilliant. And uh, but he would fuck up, 
you know, but when when he died, he was working on DN, you know, mapping DNA in Cold Spring Harbor with Dr. Watson's right. gang. You know, I mean, he was, you know, he's one of those kids where way, way, way early on, he's showing you a computer monitor with a cube and the cube is rolling. He said, yeah, I just wrote that program. Wow. And like when you're we, awesome. we're still at the point where, yeah. cool, man, what's a program? Yeah, you of know? course. And he was great. And at was, that point, we're, we it was were all funny as shit. And we were all playing nuts. pong, and he's doing that with the right, computer. Right. And he was. You no, know, I, I guess it is. But he was a great character, and he, he loved me. I got to apologize, but I, I do want to finish the point. We do know this opioid thing drives me absolutely insane because we all know somebody in general, straight laced, they get a football injury, a shoulder, or have an ankle or a knee. Next thing you know, they're prescribed these, uh, these pills, and the doctor just assumes, or maybe they don't give a fuck, that they'll be able to get off these things. And, and next Next thing you know, if you fast forward a few years, you got major addiction in, in these people that... And now that it's coming out that they knew that, which is, right. you know, my brother got in a bad accident and they gave him, I'm sure, OxyContin for and, the pain. And that was and, what put him over the top. Right. And it had nothing to do with doing coke and getting oh, drunk yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah. And we all know so many people, you know. You want a, you want a fun picture story? Going back sure. to... It? You said how the uh, your the pictures were you know cut up and all that. So in my family, there's a there's a bit of mental illness with my mom and my family. One of seven kids, sometimes eight kids, sometimes nine, because she would bring people in and you know make them our sister out of nowhere. It's really bizarre. Yeah, that but, too. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> That's when my mom had a problem with one of us, she would go to the family pictures. And cut their head out of the oh, pictures. Oh. And you know how awkward that is when you're like, now fast forward, you're in college, let's say Geneseo. And, everybody, and everybody's and, made and, up. And, 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 and I have a girlfriend come down and I want to show her my family history. So we bring out the photo album. And next thing you know, you have to explain why your brother's head is not in most of the pictures anymore. <laughs> you know, it's so funny, but it's so not funny. You know I, what I mean? I think it's hilarious. I mean, how could you? Because oh. you either got to either laugh or you're going to cry, if, right? Right. Right, right. You jump off a it cliff. It was so awkward, though. It's like, oh my god. Some of the pictures had three heads missing. I'm like, I don't know what happened that day. That's oh my god. And it depended if you made if my mom was then okay, then maybe you still had some of your pictures from your 15th birthday. You know, that, oh, oh, that's that's a beauty. You know, but and, and that's you know, and that's your family. You know, I had a crazy family. I went to school at Michigan State. Yeah. And my roommates from Detroit. And that's it's the Midwest. It's a different world. And I mean, this guy, my roommate Nick, used to. His parents would come and visit, and when they left, he'd kiss his father goodbye on the lips. Wow. His father. I mean, they were talking well, you know. Yeah. Homespun family values, and my mother used to sign her letters to me. I love you when you're in Michigan, and that used to drive him crazy. He'd be like, "Man, that's your mom's." I yeah. said, "Yes, yeah, my fucking mother, and that's our relationship." Yeah. And she means it. Yeah. You know, the minute I walk in the door, it's, it's a world war. I got a kissing know? story. I used to kiss my grandma on the mouth, and she had to tell me many times, more than once, to close my mouth. <laughs> oh, oh God, that's great. That's because I used to kiss your grandmother on the mouth. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Anyway, I got my grandmother stoned right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I forgot. On the last episode of the Opie Radio podcast, we were in your joke land. Yeah. And I, I was asking you about Billy Joel, Sam Kinison. Uh, you did tell me the Mark Cuban story. So, but you said, I, I got to save the Billy Joel story for, for these guys because they're filming the documentary. This, this is fun. Uh, they, Billy started, Joel. they started the Long Island Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame. And I, you know, I met Billy like in like 1971. You know what? You know when I met him when I was home from college, earning the money. 
to buy the piano so right. I could pee in my mother's face. We used to get <laughs> right. drunk and play softball in Oyster Bay, and he used to hang out with the gang. It was right after he quit. Uh, he broke up his band, Attila. He had a two-man sure. band. Yeah, I it was him and playing the organ and yeah. a drummer. I actually went to his house. To, he, he said, do you want to buy some of this equipment? And meanwhile, one of his pieces of equipment costs more than my band's whole repertoire. So you knew Billy Joel before he was uh, famous. I, I, I just met him. You know, he was like one of the guys in Oyster Bay that got right. drunk and was crazy. And he, But I wasn't in town. I was only home for the summer. So we met in passing. But I didn't really hang. So... Uh, we're doing the Long Island Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Bob Buckman says, listen, I'd really like you to help me, you know, host this. I said, I'd, I'd love to. And I wound up kind of saving the day because they didn't know what they were doing. <clears throat> they got a teleprompter, and they're giving, like, an award to Little Anthony Imperials. And here's Little Anthony, and they got a teleprompter with, like, six paragraphs <laughs> on it. And he can barely read Little Anthony. Not, I'm, I'm exaggerating, yeah. but, you know, like... So everybody's at a loss. Nobody knows what to do. It's too late to rewrite stuff. So I'm out there while they're scrambling to make things right. I'm telling jokes. So I'm keeping everybody alive. And then it's fun. Like Alec Baldwin's there with his girlfriend at the time. And there's a, the whole world's there because this is an event. So we're backstage. <clears throat> and I love Lily. When I found out the guys from Lil Anthony Imperials knew who I was. And there were Stern fans. I was out of my... But everybody in show business listened to the stupid show. So I was thrilled. So I'm backstage... And I'm in a conversation with Billy Joel and Paul Schaefer, Schaefer and Leslie West. And, <clears throat> and I'm famous too at the time. So I'm, I'm like in heaven. I'm like, yeah. this is the greatest conversation just to be part of this. I'm like, wow, this is great. And we're, we're in the wings, in the small Patchogue Theater. We're in the wings. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they introduce Little Anthony Imperials. Now... I'm in hell because I'm in a conversation that I couldn't have created in my imagination, the collective conversation of Paul Schaefer, Leslie West, Billy Joel. I'm like, but little Anthony's like 10 feet away and they're going to sing. And all of a sudden Billy goes, Billy, I don't know him that. Billy Joel goes, that's little Anthony, man. And he waddles over. He leaves the conversation and waddles over to, to the wings. Yeah. And he's looking. So, like, fuck. so I walked over. So me and Billy are standing shoulder to shoulder. And we're watching Little Anthony, and they're like ridiculous. They're ridiculous. And Billy turns to me and he goes, it doesn't get any better than this, man. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? You're only with Jackety Joke, man. I'm with Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you are an asshole. Awesome. And we live. How great a story is that? <laughs> and, and, you know, and you can, you can make that. It's great, great, great fun. You are... Uh... You also have a story about Sam Kinison, which uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't a stern listener. I mean, I listened from time to time, not as much as Howard would like people to think, because if you're successful in radio, it, 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 he assumes that you had to learn everything you right, know, no, from no. him and all that, blah, blah, blah. But I, I do uh, remember finally some of those uh, Sam Kinison um, uh, appearances, and wow. Well, he, he used to, you know, he found out it was my my birthday, and he yeah. you know put coke or a hundred dollar bill in my pocket, and you know he he was crazy, you know, and he was always great fun, uh, but I I predated the Stern show with him by a long shot, and it's the greatest story because in 1979, 1980, uh, I used to do shows with an amplifier and a couple of little giant speakers, the little twelve inch speakers. And because I used to play guitar and sing. And then I started, and I, but I always told jokes. And then my band, 
broke up, but even before the band broke up, I would do solo nights where it's just me and my guitar singing and telling jokes. And then I met Richie Minovini and Bob Nelson, even Eddie Murphy. These guys would come down to Neptune's Pub in East East Meadow because there was a place to get on stage. There was no place on Long Island. They'd get up and do five minutes and, you know, Bartlett and and Nelson and and Murphy and Hawthorne and Woods, all these classic guys. All these guys before they were famous. Wait, wait, wait. You know, and like there wouldn't be seven. There'd be like a guy I'd stop in or two of the guys, you know. And I I did that two different. There was a, a second Neptune's. I did it in a bunch of different places. So it was you know they didn't care about me. They, you know, so um, so I did this with the Amplify. Then I I got a job in Queens, and I met this guy Ron Richards, who's a whole nother story. And he says, "Listen, uh, you do shows. You have an amplifier and a sound system." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, I can't do. I can't handle all the ones I have." So he gave me two of his gigs. He gave me a place called Mustache Pete's, and I still have the book. The page from the book, you know, that says, you know, Rick Overton, uh, Paul Reiser, you know, Larry Miller, you know, the, the, the different guys, yeah. the three guys each Tuesday, you know. And we did these shows. And then this other guy named Jim Balazzos started doing it. But he took it. He did a little bit bigger level. He had a little bit bigger sound system and actually had guys that would help him. I would go there and take my amplifier and set it up and set up the microphone and introduce the guys and give pay them and, and keep the difference. You know, not take a hog's share, just take, you know. And and Ron Richards did the same thing, but he had a van and speakers and these guys. So And I worked for him fairly often. So I start working for him, and I'm working for him, and as these guys are setting up, one guy would look over at the other guy and go, ow, ow! And I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> what, what the fuck is wrong with this guy, right? And so they'd be, and all of a sudden one guy yelled to the other, Leper whore! And I'm like, they, like they had Tourette's. And I'm like, I got no idea what, not all the time, you know, all, you know once yeah. in a while, like, oh! And, and, and they'd laugh, you know? So I have no idea what's going on. One night I go to the improv to meet Jim Balazzos, and I get in the van with him, and he always had a bottle of vodka under his seat, and his wife, and his henchman would be either in the van or another van, whatever. And I get in, and there's this little, truth be told, this little troll <laughs> with, the, with a beret on. And he goes, Jackie, this is Sam. I go, hi, how you doing? He says, yeah, he's, I brought him out from Los Angeles. I want to see, you know, how he works out here. I said, all right, so we're drinking, and we're going to the other side of Jersey. I mean, so far. And we literally went to a place where we tied up the disco ball. So the people could see us. Right. I mean, that's not that right there. Yeah. All right, Jackie's full of crap. Right. Yeah. Tied up the disco ball, and Palazzo says, and me and Sam had a great time. We were, I probably smoking pot and drugs. I knew, never smoked pot before I went on, but we were probably drinking. I drank until 1985. I always drank before I went on. I, you know, who knows what happened? And <laughs> and so we're drunk and we're having a great time, and we get there. Palazzo says, "Listen, Jackie, I want you to host," and. Save some of your stuff, because I don't know how they're going to react to Sam, so I might need you, you know, to close out the show with some time. You know, it's very loose. I mean, fine. So we get there, and uh, and Mac, I just recently found out it was Max Docelli that was the other act. And uh, I went up, opened up the show, did my jokes, blah, 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 blah. I brought it back, blah, blah, blah. And then I introduced Sam, not not knowing anything. And... I'm in the back of the room, and I, I, it's like it happened this morning. I'm telling you. Here's all these people, and this is like 1980. 
So people aren't really comfortable yet with the fact that they're sitting in a club and somebody who's like, for all practical purposes, a guy they went to high school with is facing the other way and they're trying to be funny. This isn't Robert yeah. Klein on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, this yeah. is one of the guys got up and just decided, you know, right. it's like there's no, there's no discerning thing between sure. them. So it's kind of a tough thing to swallow. Throw in the fact that it's a New Jersey audience, you know, it's 50 years later, I'll get hate mail for this, but, you know. <laughs> You're not you're not playing to Princeton, you know. <laughs> right. Only when you're in Princeton, in New Jersey, are you playing to Princeton? And so Sam goes up there, and in my mind, it was ten minutes, but it was probably a minute. He takes the microphone and he starts pacing back and forth. You see this face? Take a good look at this face. You're gonna remember this face. And I'm like, what? The, what's he doing? You know, you'll always remember this face. You will always remember this face. And then out of a clear blue sky, he leaned all the way over right in this woman's face and goes, Because I live in hell! Oh! Oh! I live in hell! My wife is a whore! I hope she gets leprosy! Ah, she's a leper! And all of a sudden, I'm hearing the whole thing, the cacophony of everything that these guys were yelling. What had happened is... Palazzo said, come home with a, seat, with a cassette of yeah. Sam Kennison and ask the guys, what do you think? Yeah. So he drove around listening to Sam Kennison. So these guys are setting up the equipment, and they're doing Sam back and forth. Yeah. Leper whore. And, of course. Right? And he's, he must have done maybe 20 minutes. He might have done four. I have no idea. But he yelled at them full tilt for the whole time, and I'm peeing myself. You know, I, I don't even know whether they were laughing. Or not. I'm drunk, and I'm like, well, this is like, this was watching somebody from Pluto. Yeah. And I'll never forget, because when I walked walk back up on stage, when he was done, you know the Max L commercial where... With the hair? Yeah, with the hair? Yeah, or, yeah. When they show a 3D, the old pictures of people at the 3D movies, and they're all like <laughs> yeah, spellbound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got up there, and these people look like, like the 80 or 100 people look like they'd seen a fucking ghost. And like, I don't know whether they were entertained, not entertained. I don't know if they laughed or not, but I did a bunch of jokes and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and then we said goodnight and got back in the van. And Sam was like, well, man, you're a great entertainer, man. Thanks. And, you know, that was very different. And, you know, you drive an hour out in Jersey and an hour back to do a comedy show. You know, we bonded. We had a great time. Great time. But whoever knew what was going to happen and then... The whole thing kicked into gear. And like, here it is six years later, and I'm sitting there at K-Rock, and he, he comes walking in, you know, and he looks down, and he goes, what are you doing here, man? I said, same thing you're doing in here, man. I was, it was just That's like, awesome. I don't think there was a comic that came onto the scene so hot like he did after that. It was the Rodney Dangerfield thing, obviously. And the next day, we all were talking about it. I mean, it was, it was obviously before the internet and social media and all that. It was like, he hit so, so instant, hard, man. So instant. And, and it was a rocket ship until he died. And, and, and nobody, nobody, like Rodney didn't know. For all knew, Rodney knew he's, you know, he'd be lynched you know because he went through all kinds of crap you know so yeah i think he's on my uh my top five what who's top five comics of all time i i, I, I know that's a tough one i i don't you know because i'm not a I comedy go, guy you i go know, carlin kinnison uh bill hicks and then the other two vary i don't care about comedy i just like jokes so right. i love I, I love rodney because what he did was 
to me, basically, jokes. Right. And Henny made me laugh, and Buddy Hackett made me right. laugh, and Red Fox made me laugh. I mean, all all the guys are so great. You know, people say, who's your favorite new comic? And I say, Chris Rock. And he's like 40 years old. You know? <laughs> 40? I don't know. He's 55. No, no, I'm sorry. I mean, he's been oh, around okay. for 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I love Chris so, Rock, too, by the way. I, I, um, so I really just and you hung, know. you hung out with uh, Rodney Dangerfield a little bit before uh, Stern. I, you got a good uh, Dangerfield I story? I didn't hang out with Rodney before Stern. I hung out with Rodney. I connected with Rodney before I was a comedian. Wow! Uh, and you got one good uh, Dangerfield story. Well, the, the the whole the way the thing happened is the same guy Richie Minervini that told me those jokes. We started the show with. See, it goes full circle. I live where my grandmother passed away. We lived in her house, me and my girlfriend, and Richie would stay there sometimes. And he walked in one night and said, oh, man, I went on at Dangerfields tonight. Rodney loves me. He's going to use me all the time. He, he says he's going to use me on TV. And I'm so fucking jealous. I want to die. And I'm, I had met Richie, but we're barely doing gigs because there aren't any gigs. It's like 1978, okay? Right. Before the comedy <clears throat> explosion. Before anything, before we did our first show. You know, I had met them at Richard M. Dixon's White House Inn, but that was hardly comedy. And... So like, wow, Richie knows Rodney Dangerfield. So I sat down and I had tons and tons of jokes I've been telling for the entire 70s and for my entire life. And every joke I could think of that I thought I could switch into a Rodney joke, I typed up. Weeks before, my drunken, crazy friend JR, who has since passed away, calls me from Peru. He's down there doing coke, selling coke, having fun. He's a spoiled rich kid. And he wakes me up, and he's smart enough to keep me on the phone long enough that I'll remember because he knows I'm, damn well I'm drunk. Oh, you know, chief! They all called me chief, and it didn't was not a compliment. It, they were fucking me. <laughs> chief, this guy, this guy, Tennessee Bob, he told me the greatest fucking joke, man. You got this joke, Tennessee, Tennessee Bob told me this. Bob from Tennessee told me this joke, man. He said this girl was so ugly, she was known as a Tennessee two bagger. That's a girl so ugly that you not only have to put a bag over your own, her head, you got to put a bag over your own head in case her bag rips. So I piss myself. I piss myself. So when I wrote six pages for Rodney, I included that joke. And I, you know, I can email you the, the actual thing and use the use carbon copy because I always use the carbon copy and took it out and put the six pages in an envelope, wrote Rodney Dangerfield. And the next time Richie came in and said, hey, Richie. Give these to your friend Rodney. He goes, oh, Jackie. He says, I'm, I'm so full of shit. He, said, he says, I didn't get on at Danger. I didn't meet Rodney. I didn't even get on. I'm like, you motherfucker. And, you know, he goes, but I was there. Swear to God. Swear to God. <laughs> That's awesome. Swear to God. He took a matchbook out of his pocket. Yeah. Dangerfields with Rodney pulling on his, on his thing right. with the address. And I just wrote the address, the name, Dangerfields, and the address on the envelope. I already did the work. And put it in the mail. Said, might as well. Two days later. Two days. I'm sitting having lunch at my grandmother's. She's dead. Nobody she knows is alive. Nobody knows Pioneer 62541 except my family. And they know she ain't going to answer. And the phone rings. Who the fuck could it be? I get up. Hello? Hello. Who is this? It's Rodney. And Lois goes, who is it? And I said, it's Rodney. She goes, well, who is it? Richie? I says, fucking Rodney Dangerfield. I said, Rodney who? He said, oh, I knew you were fucking funny. I knew you were fucking. You know, some of these jokes are funny. You know, they're really this Tennessee two bag. This two bag is the funniest fucking thing I ever read, you know. Come to Westbury, you know. You come and hang out and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll buy a few of these jokes. And you know, but 
So meanwhile, he bought four of the jokes and sent me a check, and we went backstage. And my girlfriend Lois was very pretty, and we're backstage. And I got a ponytail. It's 1978, ripped blue jeans. We walk in. What the fuck? What's with the hair? Jesus Christ! What you remember? Hey, she's pretty. Want a piece of fruit? She's very cute. Oh, but it's a funny fucking joke. What's with the hair? But I mean, he's wound up, wound up. And I kept sending him jokes. He bought very few. And but I always up his ass about take me with you, take me with you. I, I got to stop you. How, how much? How much did he get for the joke? Fifty dollars a joke. Oh my! You know what he got out of that he, joke? Everybody, everybody. Wow. This was a big bone of contention on the Stern Show because they made fun of me, uh, you know. But it was barred. Everybody in New York, every comic in New York, had sold a joke no, to I, Rodney. I, I understand that. Yeah. I, so, I, so, but so, wow. oh, you know, it's great. That joke but but me, for him. Oh, but we were fucking thrilled. So, what did you I'm, do with the fifty dollars? I'm so up his ass. I still have the check. So I'm so up his ass. <laughs> finally, he calls me up and says, "Hey, you want to go? You want to go to Vegas? We'll go to Vegas." Because I was always, please, take me with you. Take me with you. In fact, I got to Lauderdale for a week first. You want to come? Yeah, come to Lauderdale. With, you know, first class, the whole thing's on me. We'll have fun, you know. Yeah. So we fly to, the whole, there's way too much of the story. But I, you know, took his daughter and her friend to Fort Lauderdale. And we got all set. And then I picked him up at the airport. And we were in Lauderdale for a week. And then we flew to Las Vegas. And so much happened that, it, it's staggering. I, I got stories and stories that, you know, one of the greatest ones, we'll walk along the beach in Fort Lauderdale and it's Easter time in Fort Lauderdale and forget the broads. Forget it. Lauderdale at Easter time, walk along. I swear to you, he turns to me and goes, oh, don't you wish you could just fuck anybody you want? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah. Like, you know, I don't think that really is worthy of being said out loud. So we go to, we go to, we go to Las Vegas. And Las Vegas, it's, it's Easter 1980. It's a uh, gas shortage. There's nobody on the road. There's nobody in town. Vegas is a, is a ghost town. Nobody's even going to the next town, let alone going to Las Vegas. And he's headlining at the Aladdin with uh, Paul Williams, who's still a friend. He's a friend of mine, too, up top. You know him? Yes, I love Paul Williams. We, Me the and kindest, him and Rodney and, what a kind his, soul. And, and his wife, Katie, yeah. did more coke in one afternoon than I think oh, the rest you, of my whole life. See, I've only known him since, since he, was, he got sober. Yeah, right. You know him when he was partying? We, Please we tell got, me a Paul Williams we story. We got so fucked up. Because you want to know, uh, watch a good documentary, the Paul Williams That's documentary. Great. He really it's opens great. up, and he talks about his Carson appearances where he doesn't even remember doing them. Well, you and know. He, and he was killing and crushing on these things, and he had no recollection he actually did them. He's like. That's how fucked up Paul Williams like was back in the day. He's three foot ten. He's tiny. Yeah. Okay, so we're drunk, stoned. He's thrilled with Rodney because Rodney went on first. And it, so it looked like Paul Williams Orchestra is headlining, but Rodney said, of course, the comedian goes on first. Yeah. Music, you know, you know, comic doesn't follow music, you know. So it was, a, he took that, it was nice. So he had us out to dinner on a Sunday afternoon. And he let Rodney take his plane to do the reaction shots for Caddyshack. Oh, That's wow. how long ago this is. So we're out of our minds, drunk, doing coke, having a great time. And we're, you know, you know how you get. So I'm standing in the doorway of his kitchen and he's up to my navel. He's teeny. He goes, yeah, you know, he says, Jackie, you're going to make it big, man. You got that light behind your eyes. And I'm like, well, I'm in, I'm, I'm in rarefied heaven because I'm with Rodney, let alone Paul Williams. So he goes, yeah, he says, uh, he says, you know who Johnny Hart is? And I said, 
BC, the guy that draws BC. He says, yeah. And he goes, yeah. And he does the Wizard of It. He goes, yeah, yeah. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> this this took place, this conversation. He goes, <laughs> he goes yeah, we're going to make a movie out of the Wizard of It. And, I, and I'm looking down at him. And I go, that's great. An animated movie? And he goes, no, no, live action. And I'm looking down at him. I go, how could it be live action? Everybody in that in cartoon is so short and dumb. <laughs> And I caught myself, and he just laughed. He said, ah, you're a fucking idiot, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that, that's my Paul Williams. I love Paul so, Williams. So here we are. Yeah. Rodney's done with the second show at the Aladdin, in the place of the ghost town. And at the time, the MGM Grand was the next hotel over before it burned down. Oh, come on, let's go to the MGM Grand. We'll see, we'll see if anything's happening. Come on. So we walk down to the MGM Grand, which is not that far, and it's real late. And we go in, and the place is, is a morgue. No hookers, no nothing. Just the major deer is there who continually called him by the name Roger Danglefoot, which is making me pee. Yeah. And the harder I laughed, the more he did it, and the more upset Rodney got, right. So, blah, blah, blah. So let's get the fuck out of here. Let's get the fuck out. So we're walking back along Las Vegas Boulevard South, going back to the Aladdin. And we're walking along. And the way I remember it, the sun was coming up. Maybe it was, but it was chilly. It's Las Vegas at night. And he goes, uh, you got a piss? I said, you know how much I drink. I always got a pee. He says, come on. And instead of going into the waiting to get to the Aladdin, we walk, before we get there, we walk to the left where the dumpsters are. And the dumpsters are the size of a small McDonald's. I mean, this is in Las Vegas, major Giant hotel. Was there. And he walks up to a dumpster and takes out his dick and starts peeing on a dumpster. So I follow suit and I'm at the dumpster next to him and I take out my dick and we're both peeing and he turns to me and he goes, welcome to the big time. <laughs> 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 Which is my greatest show business story. I, 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 I said, do you know how many times I'm going to tell that it. story? And he said, have a fucking party. All what right. do I care? Have a party. You know? I love it. I was at Governor's one night and I walked in the green room and there was a guy telling that story in the first person. Oh, really? Like it had happened to him. To, I said, go ahead and tell the story, but it didn't happen to you, man. Jesus Christ. You, that's geez. funny. Is that a great one? That's awesome. So uh, I got to tell you, James, because yeah, yeah, okay. you were talking about don't talk out of school before the Don't talk before the show starts. Yeah. You got to talk when the show starts. So James Brown is on. He's got some young, young white girl that he's obviously banging that he wants to promote, and he's already old, and, but he's, he's just the greatest. And we had a band called The Losers. You know, Howard's premise was, why do these morons like the guy from the Buffalo Bills and Keanu Reeves, why do they have a band? They don't need to have a band. Anybody can have a band. We're going to have a band. So I nicknamed our, named our band The Losers, Scott on the drums, Howard on keyboard, Fred and me on guitar or bass. And so we're going to play with James Brown. Gary hadn't played the trumpet since third grade. He brought in his trumpet. So we're going to play with James Brown. And I keep writing notes. Ask him to play. Ask him to play. And Howard's blowing it away because he was, yeah, he's a little intimidated. Didn't want to ask him. But I don't know whether it's right away or the first break or something. We're on commercial break. And James Brown goes, How? Did you ever try any of that Viagra? And he goes, What? <laughs> I said, Howard, Howard. And I, and I got his attention. And he said, What do you want? I said, Don't talk to him about this. You know, I mean, not that he wouldn't have known enough, but yeah. let's pretend we're having a conversation. Yeah. And we stayed in conversation until the commercial was done. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, of course. Because you didn't want to lose it. And all of a sudden, we're back on the air. He goes, now, what were you saying, James, about Viagra? And so we got the whole thing, and it was... James Brown talking about Viagra. Howard, you ever do any of that Viagra? <laughs> he goes, I, I know what it is. I'm going to try it. I said, Howard, 
That's the greatest Viagra. I'll tell you how it. I took me a Viagra and I had me an appointment. <laughs> and you know what, Howard? 20 minutes later, I had me another appointment. <laughs> <laughs> and I show, I'm like, we right. could have missed that, right. you know. <sighs> and I'm sh- that's got to be something they replay because there's nothing I would imagine. politically incorrect. So, oh. so what do you miss about the Stern Show? Not being on it. And it's crazy that uh, the, it's been like 18 years, The only right? thing, not the only thing, but what I miss, I don't miss uh, going to the Four Seasons and, you know, whatever you want to eat, drink, flying first class. That was all so wonderful. And and hanging out and meeting, you know, celebrities came in and people, oh, all oh, the naked girls. After a certain amount of time, me and Fred didn't even look up. The girls, you know, were never, you know, you know we got so famous that like I'd be in traffic and people wouldn't say, hey, are you Jackie? They would just start a conversation. Yeah. Like we had been together for a month, you know, and I'd be driving along and a guy would be stopped in traffic and he looked over at me and go, so what'd she look like? And I'd go, man, not so hot. You know, Howard doesn't lie, but he exaggerates when he talks about how hot these girls are because they just, I, my classic joke was that looked like the doctor was on the phone when he did their breast <laughs> implant, you know, because the nipples are going you know, like, 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 oh uh, my God. Klieg lights, you know. So we, can I interrupt you again? Because there, there's so much I can relate to. We saw so many girls, you know, because we did the whole Whip of My Wednesday thing. We right, saw right. so many girls topless. I was like, I, I, I started getting sick of it because, you know, most of them look so good in a shirt or a sweater. But as soon as they take them off, they're like the softballs in the middle of their and chest. It's very, and it's very and rare like that said, they match. Yeah, it's always the girls with the implants that want to show them. Right. And then the nipples are going the wrong way. Oh. And they were, and you could see the bag marks on the side. Oh, oh and, I, you know. And people would be like, God, you got to. Yeah, the Frankenstein stitches. <laughs> yeah, oh. Yes. Yes. Oh, just classic. I had to interrupt because, man, because people would look at me like, you got the greatest job ever. You get to, and, you know, sure. But at, that, t- no, at I, times you were like, oh, that, now you went to a doctor and, and spent some money. Good for you. But that was fun. And and making a lot of money was a lot of fun. And, you know, it took me so long to get used to, I could just buy what I remember going into a bike shop and getting my bike fixed and saying, God, imagine having one of those. And Nancy said, what do you mean? Yeah. You could buy one of those with the change in your pocket. You yeah. Because you don't, you know, you. Yeah. She used to get mad at me because I used to get crazy when I saw hundreds in my in my wallet. And she'd say, You're so melodramatic. I said, You go 38, 39 years with no hundreds in your wallet, you know, you'd get excited too. And, uh, but all that said, I'm a comic and I love nothing better than making you laugh and going into the deli and making that guy laugh or hanging out with the guys at the bar. If I'm hanging out with five guys and make them laugh for a half hour, that's as good as doing a show. You know, I love that. And what I missed the most, and I realized this fairly soon afterwards, which probably the main reason why I called up and said, listen, I would love to have my job back, is sitting and laughing for four or five hours. That is not it's not a normal thing. You know, when you're doing it every day yeah. for so many years, you think, well, I'll just do that somewhere. No, I won't do it there anymore. I'll do it wherever else. And there just aren't three, four, five, six funny people in a room carrying on, breaking each other's balls, keeping each other sharp. That That's such a surreal experience. And that's that's what I meant. And that's why when I go in to do a radio show or something, or even do, this is this is what yeah. that was. Oh, we're know? having a, a ball here. Why do you think he, like, never, um, 
during the negotiations called you back. He kind of let you. You were kind of hanging there for a while, and then you had to. You had to give up and go. I guess. I guess this is. Yeah. Over. No. That. Well, that's just. That's it, it, just nasty pool. You know. But I mean, I think that's because no one ever told you officially that it was over. Well, you know, it's just like if you go to audition for something, they never, they never call you up and tell you you didn't get the gig. You know, it's the same. Like they were basically saying, "Fuck you." You know. Why though? Why? What, why the do you one think? thing I don't understand is that. Because you want a little... People say, uh, why didn't Howard fight for you, blah, blah, blah. He didn't need to fight for me. You know, it's like the old thing of Frank Sinatra saved somebody's life the other day. What did he do? You know, he took his foot off his head and told him to stop hitting him. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think it was money. I I don't know whether he was uncomfortable with his new wife. I I I don't know what the story was. I just know that for the entire time I was there, I was sitting two feet away from him. And if you're a comic, there's a chemical, not, not chem, I, I hate to sound voodoo, but if you like being funny, there are people that you have their funny bone. And there's no other way to explain it. There's some people where I own them, not in a bad way, not in a negative way, but there's people I know from high school that like, I look at them, I got, they're laughing. They are, whether they trust me or whatever, and I could make him laugh at, at the drop of a hat. I just could. I, you know, it's not a power. It's just that mm-hmm. he liked me and I could make him laugh and he knew I was funny. And I sat two feet away from him for all those years and he never had a bad time when I was sitting there. He had fun for 15 years. Now, it had to be Sophie's choice to say, well, let's get rid of him. It, it, I know it wasn't the money, but you're going to let go of the guy that made your mornings fun. He used to say, he wrote that in his books. Jackie makes my mornings fun. I made his mornings fun. And he's willing to give that up for what? Now, I don't think he had a Machiavellian scheme to clean things up. And I mean, he was always a great interviewer. You know, even when we wrote, we wrote a lot of the questions for him, but he didn't need them. You know, that people say, oh, when did he become such a great interviewer? He didn't become, he was always a great interviewer. And people, oh, when did we, blah, blah, blah. he was always smart. You know, he was the guy that got A's on his report card and hid it from his friends because he didn't want them to know how well he was. Right, I'm right. not saying he did that, but no, it was I the know. same with me because I did that too. You know, your friends are all getting D's and they're all fuck-ups and like, you're like, how'd you do? Oh, yeah, I don't want to show my father my report card, you know. It's, it's interesting you say uh, a great interviewer. Why do you think he's trying to change his image to, I he wants know. everyone to focus on the fact that he's a great interviewer and, and he's almost like embarrassed of the past and the shock jock I stuff. I think and, that's, I, you know, I... I don't know. It's what's a little going. strange. No, it's it's it's. It, what's your thought on that? I think it reaps of some kind of horse shit. You know, I the thing somebody said, oh, he's going to burn all his old tapes. You know, maybe he's trying to get rid of any proof that I had anything to do with it. Opie, you know, you let's make it about me. It's my fucking documentary. <laughs> I love it. No, I, you know what? I really don't know. That's you know, but nobody, you know. You don't lose where you came from. Yeah. You know, if anything, you should say, hey, I was a filthy piece of shit and I was mean and horrible. Look how much I've changed. Look right. look what I am now, as opposed to all oh, that, you know. Yeah, we know, Jackie. And when we come back on the next episode, we'll finish up our series with the one and only Jackie the Jokeman Marwin. Don't forget to leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Visit opradio.com for shirts and hats and all that jazz. Also visit Jackie's website, jokeland.com, and pick up his book, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. Joey Salvia here. Thank you for listening and downloading this free podcast we call Opie Radio.